All right, thanks. Okay. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, I personally am uh, super blessed to be here on the five-year anniversary. Uh, my life and heart have always been connected with Arcadia Valley. I started life 20 miles south in Annapolis, and uh, we came to shop at what used to be Western Auto. And Western Auto is where I bought my first bicycle, and Western Auto is where I bought my first baseball glove, and the only one I've ever owned that I still have, and I now play catch with with my boys. And uh, so years and years and years later, uh, that's where Arcadia Valley Chapel would reside in the same building. Uh, it was half of it was A.V. Chapel, a Napa on the other side. But when I was a kid, it was all uh, Western Auto. All that said, um, you know, uh, 35 years ago, my dad became a pastor. He went from being a diesel mechanic down at a Sarco lead smelter, and then he became a pastor like overnight. And uh, we left the First Baptist Church in Annapolis where we went to church with Wayne and Suzette Brewer. And, um, and so we moved, uh, you know, it seemed like forever away to the Arcadia Valley, and uh, we moved right over the hill here in Pilot Knob. So we'd uh, take our sleds up to the top of this hill, and uh, Jerry McMullen and Chris Thompson and uh, Chris Carr and a bunch of other guys, we'd, we'd sled race down this hill, and I recall one time uh, somebody was borrowing my sled, and they went right down the hill, and there was a trailer sitting at the end of the hill on the other side, and we went right under the underpinning and right out the other side, you know, we just... <laughs> But, uh, you know, so this was my, my home for a couple years. Uh, was an Arcadia Valley Tiger against my will for a couple years. Um, was started as a, as a Panther, uh, was, a, was a Tiger for a while, and then finished up as an Ellington Whippet. And I'd just like um, you to all to say this with me. Go Whippets. <laughs> no? 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 First rule of public speaking, know your audience. Um, so that said, all that said... Um, so my heart was always connected to the valley, and when, when we moved back and planted uh, the church at Parkland Chapel in Farmington, then uh, the very first week, uh, Kelly was Brewer, now Mingy was in my basement, that's where we started the church, and so uh, she was there, and a couple years later along came Mingy, and I, I just want to say, people have different spiritual gifts, okay, so everybody has a spiritual gift, I, part of my gift is prophecy, and so I'm, I prophesied that these two would be together humbly. And so this is how it happened. I would come up every week uh, to Kelly Brewer then, and I would say, look, you need a husband. I found you a man. And here's what I'd tell her. Is, here's Mingy. He loves God, and he's got a J-O-B. <laughs> Those are the only two things you need in, if you're going to find a husband. You know, especially in St. Francis and Iron County, having a... Having a Having love and God in a J-O-B, it's hard to get both of those in a man, right? So um, all that said, about uh, five years into to the chapel up in Farmington, um, Cindy Glacheski uh, called one night, and I didn't even know Cindy, and she actually called through a friend of hers that she, w she worked with and said, Cindy Glacheski wants to uh, accept Christ on Friday. It was like Tuesday. I'm like, well, why don't we do it today? Like, today is the day of salvation. And it's like, nope, she ain't doing it till Friday. <laughs> so, sure enough, she came in, uh, her and all of her grandkids, right, Cindy? They sit down right on the front row on Friday, and we walk through salvation, and what I realized is she already knew Jesus. We were just somehow sealing the deal. And uh, that became eventually our connection uh, physically to uh, Arcadia Valley. And later, as 
almost everybody in her family started coming to church and we baptized, we realized that there's like this group of people, if they all show up, there are 25 of them, and, and, and it's hard to get to, to Farmington every week. And so we started praying about coming to meet them uh, where they're at. And so after a while, uh, I approached Mike, who was our youth pastor at the time, and I said, would you mind going down with me and let's just like co-teach something just to meet these guys where they're at on Sunday nights and see if we can't do something like we do in the valley. You know, because the reality is we're not competing with anybody. We're just a different flavor and uh, we're a different expression of the body of Christ, right? And you might have driven up here this morning and realized not everybody in the valley is in church this morning. So there's still some unbelievers left in here. And so there's a need, right? And there's an opportunity. So soon we, uh, we started Bobby Powell's Jamboree. And, uh, there, you know, I, my favorite part was there were pigs on the wall dancing. <laughs> pigs with no clothes on, on the wall, dancing. Uh, and we started there, then eventually uh, next to Napa. And then here you guys are. Now, but uh, quickly, like two weeks in, I realized this isn't like a co-teach thing. Uh, Mike Mingy's called to be the pastor down here. Like, he, he loves this community. This is, this is he and Kelly's deal. And so uh, here they are, right? Now, quickly, five years have went by for me. It seems like a blink. But I just wanted to share quickly about five, the number five. Uh, five is a number in the Bible that is significant, like many numbers in the Bible, they have connotations that are deeper than just their numerical value. And so uh, five is actually the number of creation and or grace. Interestingly enough, uh, creation, people connect it to, we have five uh, fingers. Most of us have five toes. You know, we, God created these uh, stabilities into us and these continuances into us, connecting us to creation but past that, when you think about what God establishes something new, five books in the Old Testament that started, right? The Pentateuch. And then when you start the New Testament, there are really uh, a new Pentateuch we have there. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. It's all connected. When God starts stuff, he often embeds fives. When you think about the tabernacle in the Old Testament, you know, the little, I like to call it a, a mobile home, right? God, God's first home was a trailer, and I feel good about that because I grew up in a trailer, right? Single wide, no double wides back then. You know, 14 by 64, that's as big as it got. And, you know, if you, if we always said if you cut the tongue off of it, it'd make a nice home. Don't go anywhere, you know, but it could, you could possibly go somewhere if you leave the tongue and the wheels on. And uh, God was like that with his first home with the nation of Israel. It was basically the size of a mobile home. And, uh, and so he went because the people were nomadic in the middle of them. But interestingly enough, the number five is embedded in the tabernacle. There are five sockets with five boards to hold stuff up around the framework. Uh, there are five different curtains that are in the tabernacle. And finally, most importantly, when they had this incense that was supposed to reflect the aroma of God, it was burning all the time, five different uh, ingredients to make it smell good, to make them remind themselves of God. So, right, five is an interesting number, the number of beginnings. And the reason it's the number of beginnings, five, is it takes about five years to get anything off the ground. Right? We live in a very instant culture. Five years can seem like an eternity. But really, uh, throughout history, five years is just getting off the runway, folks. And so you sit here at the very beginning of something. Right? You may have been here all five years. You may just landed here. But you're like actually at the beginning of something. If you don't fake it five years, you can't begin. And Think about this. If you sit here this morning, you have, by God's grace, 
Five is creation. Five is grace. Uh, you have by God's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. By God's grace, you sit here having beat the odds because one out of every three church plants make it three years. And in rural America, the number is lower because most of you sit here having bucked social and family and uh, cultural trends to be here. If you were connected to a church, it cost you something to come here. And if you weren't connected to a church, it cost you something to come here, right? That's how it is. But we sat here uh, in the beginning. And so I'd just like to say to you guys simply this morning, um, it's no small thing, this thing that might seem like a small thing. And God said, don't despise the day of small things. And so what we sang, I thought, was very fitting this morning. Uh, there are certainly greater things to be done in this city. And understand that you guys are the expression of Christ in this city, that only you can reflect him in the way he has made you to reflect him. If A.V. Chapel doesn't exist, uh, God will be less reflected in this city than he is now. And you guys are part of that expression, both individually and uh, corporately. And so uh, as we reflect this morning and celebrate, think about this. It's begun, and it's all because of God's grace. Miss Heather, and she's going to share. share. We've been uh, praying for her, super blessed to have her and her family. And, and um, you had to invite everybody. Thank you. And I, everybody that's here. Everybody that's here loves you just as much as we do. And I know. Uh, she's going to share God's story in her life. All right. My story starts out like most, I think. As a small child, I learned about Jesus, learning songs like Jesus Loves Me, This Little Light of Mine. By the time I was in my teenage years, Jesus was the last thing on my mind. Because of sin and the type of people I surrounded myself with, I ended up in a really unhealthy relationship, full of drug abuse, abuse itself. At about 23, it was a now or never. I had to get free from all the chaos. It took being homeless losing my kids for a bit, but God seen us through it all. During that time, I met Stacy. We had a very bad start. Almost didn't make it, but we did. I thought our life was going good. We were good people. The kids went to church. I never really committed to it. We prayed at dinner, prayed at night when we remembered, but mainly I'd use Jesus like a genie in a lamp. At about 30, Mom invited me to Parkland Chapel. Wow, what a church. I knew that was my kind of church, but I met a lot of resistance from Stacy. It wasn't worth starting an argument, so I just didn't go. On August the 1st, 2012, our whole life, as we knew it, changed. Jerry wrecked the four-wheeler, and it was bad. I prayed, I screamed, I cursed, I prayed some more but he wasn't going to make it. It just wasn't part of God's plan. On a second, we lost our fun, loving, crazy, rotten boy. On that day, I knew I had to get to heaven some way, somehow. And to my surprise, my husband that I met so much resistance with went up to Pastor Mike Harrison at the funeral and don't really know what he said to him, but somehow he got that man on board. <laughs> And he decided he was going to take a walk together. Within about a year or so, we ended up saved, baptized, married. Because as you can tell, we did it all backwards. 
But try as we might to get right with God, we struggled finding time and money to get to Parkland Chapel. I can remember paying. Lord, I'm trying here. What else do you want from me? I was on the verge of throwing in a towel when one Sunday morning, I showed up at church and up pops A.V. Chapel on the screen. They were going to start a church in the valley, and to top it all off, it was going to be in walking distance from my home. No more excuses. God eliminated everything that kept us from church. So here I sit, five years later, so very thankful that God in Parkland Chapel never gave up on us. For A.B. Chapel, to call home for the best church family I could ask for. To Mike and Kelly, I wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for all the talks and time that you spent with us. So I thank all of you for loving us through it all. That's fine. Give me a hug. So um, I say this every year about this time, but if they were the only ones still coming, we'd still be here, and I mean that. As a matter of fact, the coolest thing was last night I got to talk to Stacy, and it's interesting the day and age we live in. He's in Hong Kong, uh, welding to provide for his family, which in our culture, many times uh, people in Stacy's situation would throw up their hands and not work. And uh, he's found a way to provide for his family, and he hates being away from them. Um, but he does it, and uh, I was able to sit in my recliner last night and my phone rings, and it says Stacy Tedford on it. I'm like, what in the world? He's calling me through Facebook. So I pick it up, because I'm like, I don't care what this is going to cost. Hey, Stacy, and, and I got to talk for, to him for a while. And what I got out of the conversation was he's doing good. Um, he hates Chinese, actual Chinese food. <laughs> Apparently it's not the same thing. It's not deep fried. And uh, he doesn't even like the KFC there, because he said the food, uh, they've got KFC, they got all the food there, they got the chicken, um, he said, but they don't have no mashed potatoes. <laughs> they don't have no corn and mac and cheese. They got seaweed or something. <laughs> this is his words. I'm sure that's what it looks like. So uh, anyway, so I was trying to think uh, what I wanted to share this morning, and I didn't know how much time I would have. I've got a few minutes, so I'm going to take them. And you know that that means I'm always going to take more than I should. But my point is... Um, I'm very thankful that God called us down here for multiple reasons. Um, you guys always say how much a blessing we are, um, but we couldn't do it without you. Um, you guys pour into us in ways that I didn't even know I need poured into. And uh, God's given me f uh, friendships that I, I you know, I, in, in, on a, in, in everyday life, I would never have a, a friend like Stacy Tedford. We'd have never met. We'd have never crossed paths. I wouldn't get to share with Heather Heather knows more about Jesus than I ever have. And, uh, and she just, it comes off of her. And it's just because someone has taken time to tell her the truth. She's believed it. And now she's teaching her children. She's trying. She's praying. And uh, that's, all, that, that's why I'm here in the first place. God didn't call me because I was good. He didn't call me because, um, you know, I, I was something. He called me because of my lack. And uh, so this morning, I just want to read to you a passage from Mark chapter 3. The first year that we uh, became a church, I taught through the book of Mark, and it still sticks out to me every time I think about the new year. You know, we're five years in, 
But I think this is the place that God wanted me to speak from this morning. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 7 says this. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and Jerusalem, and Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude. And when they heard how many things he was doing, they came to him. So picture this. Uh, they're walking down to the Sea of Galilee. You know, we, in our day and age, we have amphitheaters, we have arenas, we have places that got microphones and sound systems. But Jesus, knowing acoustics way better than any sound engineer ever did, he walked down to the Sea of Galilee, and he turned back and he looked up the bank, and he started to speak. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking this is the worst acoustic scenario ever. But look at the list of people he just described that showed up to hear what he had to say. They had heard of the miracles. They had heard of what he had been doing. Uh, this multitude, many of them had heard that he was willing to interact with sinners. The Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted nothing to do with people that were less than in their eyes. And so as he's getting ready to speak to them, look at this multitude. And I think it's, we can't look overlook it. He says there that he, a great multitude from Galilee, so the region north to the northeast of the Sea of, or northwest of the Sea of Galilee, um, from Judea and Jerusalem. So not just Jerusalem, but also the, essentially the county or the, you know, the, the big district surrounding Jerusalem. And then he keeps expanding, Idumea and the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, which was all, way, all the way on the west coast, and a great multitude. And when they heard how many things he was doing, they came to him. They heard of the works of Jesus, and they showed up. They're like, hey, let's just go see what he has to say. This guy's making an impact. And so uh, his impact was far-reaching. But then it says in verse 9, So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. So he's got his own secret service. These guys are looking at Jesus and saying, hey, um, what do you want us to do? Because we're going to need some crowd control. And he says, just give me a boat. Not only is it good for acoustics, but it's also a, a location that's good for escape. He's got an escape route in case they press on, in on him. But it says here in verse 10, he healed many so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, they fell down before him, and they cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. So these demons are proclaiming that he is who he's saying he is. And then verse 12, But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. So he didn't need the, the bad press that these demons were giving. But verse 13 kind of takes a turn. There's this great multitude. They've all flocked around. They've heard of the, the circus that's going on. They've heard of these miracles that he's doing, and they, they're intrigued. But then verse, thir or, yeah, verse 13 says, he went up to the mountain. He left this multitude. He didn't stick with them. He, he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those who he himself wanted. So he called out specific people. He says, why, why don't you come up? It's great. Everybody's down here where it's easy to get to. It's pleasant. Who doesn't like the beach? And then he takes them up on a mountain. Now, it's one thing to meet with Jesus in a place where it's really convenient and you'd like the vacation there anyway. But it's a whole other thing when he says, hey, let's take a hike and we're going to go up this hill. And it's not just a hill, it's a mountain. So as he climbs up this mountain and he takes these people with him, he calls a specific group to go with him. With him. 
So then he appointed 12, verse 14 says, that they might be, look at this, that they might be with him and that, they, that he might send them out to preach. So this is where I want to camp on because ultimately many people know about Jesus, right? Many people know about Jesus. He's mo- arguably the most influential, influential man that's ever existed. And I've heard enough people say he was a really good guy. But if he was a really good guy, he said he was God a lot. And if he wasn't God, then he was a flat-out liar. And liars aren't good people, even in morality. Even in the world's morality, liars aren't good, right? So here is Jesus. He's not really interested in finding a following of a multitude of people. He's not, he's not trying to get popular. He's not about popularity. He doesn't care what people think about him. But as a result of that, he leaves this crowd and he calls together a group of people that he wanted to follow him. He, he singled out some individuals and he says, hey, come with me. And that's Jesus' call to every person that he ever interacted with. The disciples, the apostles, all of them. He says, hey, why don't you come with me? And many of them said, I can't, it's too hard. And many of them said, okay, what do I got to give up? You know, they left all and they followed him. But when they did that, he said, if anyone would follow after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We have to deny ourselves to follow Jesus. But notice this. He says, here he, he, uh, he takes this group of men and women, who knows? He says, it just says that he called up on the mountain uh, to follow him, those he himself wanted, and they came to him. How do you know if Jesus wants you to follow him? If he calls you and you go whosoever will may come. Whosoever is willing to follow, that's who he never, he never puts the thumb screws on people. He doesn't force anyone to follow him. Though he could, he's the Lord of all. He created us. He made our hearts beat. He created the oxygen that goes in and out of our lungs. Every breath that we have, he's given us. And yet what it says here is that uh, he appointed 12. So he called this, multitude, this smaller multitude up on the mountain with him, and then he appointed 12 of all of this group of people and then it says here that he appointed these that they might be with him and that he might send them so i guess um as we are as pastor mike said at the beginning god is calling us to be with him and i think that's the most important thing as disciples you cannot be a disciple of someone that you're not allowing to discipline you right you're not, disciple just means a disciplined one. Jesus is faithful to discipline those whom he loves. And if your father, even your earthly father, if he doesn't discipline you, guess what? He doesn't love you. But God is a heavenly father and he loves us enough to discipline us. And as a result of that, he wants us to be with him. He created us for relationship. So Jesus didn't just talk to the apostles and say, hey, I want you to come do stuff for me. He didn't. And if anybody tells you otherwise, uh, you're missing it. It's all about the relationship he's afforded, he's offered. And our sin was so great that he had to die in our place in order for that relationship to even take place. Because if you got beef with somebody, there's got to be reconciliation. Look at relationships, any relationship. If you got beef with somebody, you can't have a relationship with them. We had a beef with Jesus. We had sinned against him. We had done things that he's not okay with. And he doesn't just sweep it under the rug. He takes it very seriously. But as, after all that, he loved us enough. 
He cared about us enough. He didn't just say, I'm done with you. I'll find somebody else. He said, I'm going I'm to make a way where there is no way. I'm going to bridge the gap. I'm going to die so that you can be restored and put back in a relationship with me. I can reconcile you. To bring together two things that are apart is to reconcile. And he did that at his own cost. He didn't ask anybody else to foot the bill. I said a couple weeks ago that he didn't just send us a store brand. He gave us name brand. And the name brand was his own son. He didn't send somebody else's son to die for us. He sent his son, his only son. And so um, Jesus has called us into relationship. But through that relationship, there's fruit. Because now he called them to be with him, and as a result of that, he called us to be sent by him. Those whom Jesus loves, he sends out to love. He says, I, as I have loved you, so you go and love others. And as we do that, we get to bring people into the kingdom. In John chapter 13, he, when he says that, he says, what I've done for you just now, I want you to go and do it for others. And you know what he was doing? He took on the form of a bond slave. He's getting ready to die on the cross. He comes into the upper room with these men that he's been with for three years. And no one has washed their feet. Now, in our day and age, who cares? No one washed my feet. I'm out of here. We got rugs, right? We walk in and we just scoot our feet across. But they didn't have that. They had Air Jerusalems. They had sandals. And they were walking in poop, animal poop. And so as they go into somebody's house, there's no rug. They had a slave, and it was the lowest of the slaves. And what would that slave do? He would take on the form of a slave. He would be girded in the waist. So what Jesus did is he said, I'm going to gird myself. He prepared himself. He took his, his garment. He took it off. He humbled himself. He put it around his waist, and he got down on his knees, and he washed poop off of the disciples' feet. These are the same disciples that every time he taught them something, they did not get it. They didn't. They weren't on board all the time. Peter was getting ready to deny him. Judas was getting ready to deny him. You ever thought about that? Jesus watched Judas's feet, knowing full and well that his death would be caused by Judas giving him over to the Roman authority. But he washed poop off of his feet. And so we, having experienced essentially not physical getting poop washed off our feet. I'm just trying to see how many times I could see it say poop, apparently. <laughs> and you guys are all giggling, I know. But, but he washed poop off of their feet. There's one more. So that um, they could experience true love. True love does that. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, he wasn't just cleaning up our mess and making us a little better. He wasn't calling us to a faith that says, hey, get stronger and try harder next time. What he was saying is, you're dirty, you can't cleanse yourself, but my son can. Isaiah chapter 1 says, come let us reason together. Though our sins are as scarlet, yet Jesus has made us white as snow. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or removal of guilt or sin or shame. But because Jesus was one sacrifice for all time, Hebrews says um, that we don't have to sacrifice anymore. We don't have to prove ourselves to God. We don't have to bring an offering. We don't, any of that. It's over. Jesus did it. And when he died on the cross, before he died, his very last statement was, it is finished. So let me ask you this morning. If Jesus has called you, 
to be with him, are you taking advantage of that? And number two, where are you willing to let him send you? Are you willing to let him send you to work every day, to be faithful, to work hard, to be the best employer our, employee our boss has, and yet not compromising our faith? Are you willing to let him take you to your family when they're not hard to deal with because no family is? Are you willing to let him take you to anywhere he sends you for his causes instead of yours? Because that's why A.V. Chapel started. Jesus had loved us, and so we are compelled by his love. Pastor Mike was praying for the valley, and I just happened to be next to him. And as he asked me to come down, I didn't know what it entailed, but as soon as we came down, we were knit to this area. We wanted to be here. I didn't care what it costed. There had been too many things in my life that had happened that I held tight to, and, and God was just allowing things to happen that just kind of kept stripping me away and saying, just let go and let me. So this morning as we celebrate, we're celebrating God's faithfulness. He has called each one of us into relationship with him. He paid the price to make it happen. He's called us to be with him and every single one of us to be sent by him. But it's okay to embrace for a time, that time of just being with him. It's what will make the sending happen. It'll make obedience easy. Anybody you spend time with that you love, it, it, it's easy to love them back because you spend time with them. You get to know them, even though sometimes it gets harder. So as we celebrate this morning, I just want to thank you guys for the opportunity to do what we do. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for using your gifts and your talents. Uh, Peter talks about the manifold grace of God and really just the manifold grace of God. Of course, I picture an engine because I think of manifolds, <laughs> my engine references. But it's just instead of everything coming out of multiple cylinders into one pipe going out the back, really the manifold grace of God is coming out of one pipe into multiple pipes and all pouring out in different ways and causing God's grace to be known among people that don't know him. People do not come to Jesus without him calling them. And our job in this valley and wherever God sends us is to call people to know Jesus. Not A.B. Chapel, not the pastor, but to know Jesus. Because if they know Jesus, he does the rest. He cleans every fish that he catches. And so, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your faithfulness. We give you glory for this place that we sit in that cost us $20,000. Uh, houses don't even cost that much. We thank you for the abundant amount of people that have prayed for us. We thank you for um, the downstairs that we're going to utilize to eat pulled pork and chicken. And Lord, we thank you for um, just everybody that's been a part of this from the beginning to the end. Uh, Lord, this is the beginning, and we look forward to seeing what you're going to do in the future. Um, we love you. We thank you for calling us in a relationship. We thank you for having a reason to pray. We thank you for the purposes you've given us, and we just want to celebrate that. We just want to offer our lives up to you because you are worthy. And so, Father, um, we love you, and we praise you, and we look forward to seeing what you could do above and beyond what we could even think to ask for.
In Jesus' name, amen.